Greetings! Welcome to uh, William and I's little introduction to this episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Uh, <laughs> I love how was... chill you are with your intro. It's like, we're not going to like jazz it up and get you super excited right at the no, beginning. I'm, I'm very, you know why you're here. I'm, I'm very public radio. They, they know why, we're, why they're here. We know why we're here. This is uh, My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. This is uh, our attempt to sort of diversify the voices you hear on this network. It's not just William and I. Mm. And uh, we have asked people we know and famous people we know and talented people we know to contribute, to watch the uh, Louis Mal film, My Dinner with Andre, and have a discussion. Yeah. Uh, the film is a conversation, and we were wondering what, what it would look like if people had a conversation about that conversation. It may be our most esoteric podcast, which is saying something with us, but you know what? I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. I think es- the Esoteric topics, is great. I think and, the uh, topics brought up by My Dinner with Andre are interesting and hmm. far-reaching enough that people can basically use it to spin off into a conversation just about anything, really. Yeah, I just yeah. want to hear other people talk and giving some, some through line connects that podcast and I like yeah. that and uh, on this uh, this edition we're going to be listening to uh, Chelsea Spirito a friend of mine uh, she's actually appeared in all of my uh, radio dramas uh, that are available on uh, the critically acclaimed network remind people what those um, are I, I, I've written and made three uh, by myself one is called the 10th Muse which is about a time traveling lesbian bar uh, in that in that one uh, Chelsea plays Willa uh, one of the co-owners of the bar uh, I also made one called Love at Nana, which is a conversation in a goth counterculture store, a real-life goth counterculture store uh, that was really big in the early 1990s. And uh, she was also in Determined, which is about a, a video cassette that could predict the future, and she plays the person on the video cassette. So uh, she and I have wor- known each other for a long time, and we've worked together. And, and if she- you want to hear those... Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear those. You can either contact me via any of the... Uh, social media that I'm on. Uh, you can wit at Whitney Seibel on Twitter or even on Instagram. Uh, just send me a private message and we can arrange mm-hmm. something. I accept Venmo or PayPal and I can email a, an MP3 to you. And if you're on our Patreon, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, people who are at the top uh, $20 a month tier mm-hmm. get those at no extra cost. That's right. Uh, uh, Chelsea is a, a professional voice actress. She's been working in, in the format for a long, long time. And she and a friend of hers, uh, Farah DeGrange, uh, have started their own science fiction anthology audio drama series. Awesome. Uh, it's called From Beyond the Broadcast, uh, and I'm in it. They've asked me to be sort of the Crypt Keeper character for the that show. What a great game. Uh, so I, I, I play Jam Handy, a filthy hobo who lives on hot dog water and sleeps in a car. Uh, who introdu- whose uh, radio has been struck by lightning and now is getting broadcasts from other dimensions. Uh, this was the brainchild of, of Chelsea and Farah, and they, uh, they've written a couple episodes so far. You can subscribe to it. And uh, because I know them now, I've asked them, very, uh, and they very kindly responded by actually recording a, a conversation that they have had about uh, my dinner with Andre. They talk about... Uh, the classism of my dinner with Andre, which is sort of a common theme uh, throughout the show that the two characters don't really address how one is really privileged and one is less privileged, but they're both kind of privileged New Yorkers. They talk about being a New York. Farah is from New York. She lives in New York now. Uh, oh, Chelsea, great. Great. Chelsea lives here in LA. So they had this sort of cross country conversation. That's a great perspective. And, to add, and, yeah. and they also think about the poor suffering wives of the two main characters who are mentioned, but don't appear in the movie. That's a great point. Um, I, don't, I don't know if other people have really brought that subject up, but you're yeah. right. That's, that's kind of, yeah, absurd, uh, yeah. But yeah, listen to this episode. Enjoy. And by all means, 
means subscribe to from beyond the broadcast yeah, it's please check them out weird <clears throat> weird science fiction anthology series brought to you by um pretty much exclusively queer creators so that that's a yeah. really um really important aspect yeah seriously like whether you know I, I want you to listen to the rest of this episode but you might want to just pause it right now wherever you're podcasting you know search for uh from beyond the broadcast if you love whitney you'll get whitney in every episode mm-hmm. but either way let's support uh this really really cool show so uh, be sure to subscribe leave a review if you can that is very especially helpful especially for uh newer podcasts to help them find an audience um and uh, be sure to follow them uh, wherever they are and um mm-hmm. and now let's listen to their dinner with my dinner with andre Oh, man. So I think the best way to start it is... uh, So you watched the movie yesterday, right? Uh, On Friday. On Friday. Yeah. Did you like it? Um, I give it three out of five, leaving my family for an extended vacation to find myself. Three out of five. So you are going to go on this vacation too. Yeah, I'm giving myself, I'm giving it three, leaving your family to find yourself because really what you are is depressed out of five. (laughs) Wow. So would you say that it it was a movie that, um, that, that touched you in that way that made you want to be like, I have to go, I have to go now. No, uh, (laughs) the opposite. Um, the reason I'm giving it this score is because I'm thinking about it in different ways, not only just analyzing it as a film as it is now, but like at the time that it came out, I can see how impactful this would have been, especially, Absolutely. you know, what they're talking about, what was happening at the time, what was happening in society and what was happening as film or as, you know, plays mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. I think I, I'm, I'm trying to look at it from that lens. And yeah. I, I do see the impact this may have had on people. You know? Yeah, 19, 1981, it was still, it was it, that's that's why it's in our popular zeitgeist, you know, right. was it, uh, did you ever watch Community? Uh, not all the way through. There's an episode called My Dinner with Abed, where oh, Abed, yes, for I've his birthday, wants to, wants to have a My Dinner with Andre situation. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, I think, because it's so different than anything even now like i i mm-hmm. can't think of any other movie that's just an hour and a half two hours of, of two people sitting and having a conversation right otherwise it's you know some indie film that i is clearly not on my radar sorry right, right. for those people that are listening and are like there's like eight that i can um, name off the top of my head i'm sorry <laughs> have you seen you know that reaction basically <laughs> exactly but but yeah it was um I think I, I went back and forth the whole time I watched it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Damn. And I was like, mm, Andre's mm. kind of a pretentious piece of mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, really rooting for Wallace, even though there was nobody really to root for. <laughs> God God bless Wallace for coming in every blue moon, especially at the end where he's just like, mm, why can't we just enjoy life? For Why does it have to be anything more? And I was like, right. yes. Right. I, oh man, I went through so much watching this. And that's another reason why I gave it um, a three is because I was like, personally, like there were moments where I was like, oh yes, what you're saying is true. Yes, you're on it. Then they would say, the same character would say something. I'm like, no, are you, are you fucking kidding me? 
we were together with this and where are you going? Like, and you know, and that I liked it because it's like, yeah, humans, we fluctuate in our feelings. Not everything is black mm-hmm. and white. It's we're all a, bit, a little bit gray. So I yeah. appreciated yeah. that. Um, I will tell you who I'm rooting for. And that is the uh, judging waiter. <laughs> uh, I'm rooting for him morning, noon and night. I took I took notes and and I'm Same. trying to find where mine was. So I was like, it literally just says this waiter really doesn't like Wallace. And I love that they <laughs> they never address it. Like not once. He's just like giving him the side eye to the very fucking end. You know, <laughs> he's like, you uncultured swine. There was there was that part of me because this this is such a a, a higher brow film, considered such a higher brow film, that right. there was a little part of me after the movie that was like is that symbolic of something? Right. What is what does the angry, upset waiter mean in the grand scheme of things? Like, oh, girl, I've got notes. <laughs> also, speaking of speaking of looks, I love Wallace's thoughtful, thoughtful oh. like nodding faces in the first like hour. She's like, uh huh, gold. Yes. Oh, just something about that. It's not supposed to be funny, and every time it zoomed in on just him listening, I was like, oh. Oh, yes. He is an actor. <laughs> Honestly, there was one of the moments where he does a, a reaction shot and he's got food in his mouth. And I was like, this is too much. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so good. Um, and uh, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, no. I, it was just like, just funny to like sit there and, and kind of anticipate what reaction shot I'm going to get from him next. Yes. And, and what I noticed was, uh, and, and this might be being overly like deep, like nuanced or like picking it apart. We mm. always saw Wallace's reacting faces head on. And I don't think we ever fully saw Andre's reacting right. faces full on. Yeah, if he was yeah, reacting, yeah. we were seeing him in the, in the re- reflection of the mirror yes. or Wallace was still in the frame. Right. And I thought that was really interesting given that uh, the movie itself was, you know, my dinner with Andre. Mm-hmm. But the perspective we always had was Wallace's perspective yeah. at all times. Yeah. Which yes. I, I just thought that was cool. Yeah, I agree. And I, I remember there was a specific moment where Wallace is kind of giving his monologue and I, I could not stop staring at Andre in the mirror. I was just like <laughs> watching him like bated breath, like, oh, what's he going to say? What's his face going to do now? I want to feel something. Feel yeah. something. Andre just fucking just, ugh. I, you know what? Andre has got to have the most tolerant, patient, oh my god, I know you're kind say. wife on the fucking fucking Conchita. planet. Poor Conchita. Like I wanted her to show up at the end, like or just some, <laughs> just something. That poor, suffering woman. <laughs> and and he... you know that. <laughs> I was gonna say and- Andre's talking about her like she's so understanding in this. You know she fucking isn't. She's like at home on the verge of divorce with this man. <laughs> and Andre's like completely oblivious. He's just like, yeah, she's, she understands I need to go to Poland and, you know, dance around naked at a forest with Polish people. <laughs> no, no, I no, 1981, no. absolutely not. She uh, is either A, fucking somebody else, or yeah. B, is like borderline out, two, one foot out the door. Like, <laughs> Honestly, I had many, many theories about Conchita. And side note, um, Andre is, of course, the type of man to have a wife named Conchita. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into to the layers on that. Just Skinny think about it. theater, Woody Allen S <laughs> man in 1981. Right. Of course right. he has right. a Conchita. And he, 
he's like, he's too, he's a little bit too um, <laughs> theater and artiste <laughs> to have the quintessential, what at the time would have been like, you marry your blonde homemaker wife. Right, but he's like, right. oh no, I'm gonna get me a Conchita. It's like a little <laughs> bit of spice to add to him being like this figure. Exactly. It's, like he was, yeah. he was going to theater openings. He's like, I need a little bit of color on my arm. <laughs> fucking Andre I I don't not want to like I was really torn about how I felt about Andre for for that and I I mean I I hate to be so blunt about it it's like it's like two older white guys not older they're like 30s and 40s and it seems Mm -hmm. like white dudes pontificating on certain aspects Mm -hmm. of life I'm trying to like I'm like where is yeah it's so this dream world and fantasy and experience it it's so easy for these particular people to to have these experiences and, and then you know expound on the, the nuances of life and oh we're failing as a society and yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know we're, we're being sucked in by the heated blanket and it's like how fucking dare you like yeah. I understand it and there are aspects of it that are beautiful and yeah. and so enlightening and yeah. and you get you start to get sucked in by him almost right. and, and I think that's such a a larger metaphor for for this type of rhetoric and and um thought but when you really break it down it it, not everybody can have this not not everybody's Uh allowed or has access to that type of thought Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i i agree i agree that's why i fluctuated so much with my opinions on their opinions throughout the film because like they were saying some things that were important to say but then I also mm-hmm. was just looking at them through the lens of like, you live such a privileged life and you don't even yeah. understand it. Um, and <laughs> I really, really feel like I want to take a clip of that, uh, the electric blanket moment. Yeah. Because dare I say that whole section felt like the perfect example for me to share with people about what white privilege is. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, well, you're comfortable under your warm blanket and good for you and things are going well, but you're not seeing how everyone else around you is possibly cold as fuck and suffering mm-hmm. and maybe can't afford that blanket and maybe can't afford to have the luxury that you have that you feel like, well, I, I have this and I don't want to give it up. And that he's so scared. He's like, but I don't want to be cold. It's like, you could... You could also see it in the opposite way, though, too, where Andre's mm-hmm. like, well, I have I have all the money for I have all the money for the heated blanket. Like, that's great. Except mm-hmm. I want to I want to have the true experience, you know, like the working man's experience. Oh, yeah. And it's same. like it's like, oh, OK, we're 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 glorifying this this nuanced experience of like, I want to be cold. I want to know what that feels yeah. like. It's like. Well, some people don't have the luxury to go back and forth to say right. I want to be, you know, warm and oh, I'm going to have this. He, he almost fetishizes that experience mm-hmm. where it's like, there, there are people out there that would love to just have the one comfort of like a roof over their head right. or a heated blanket. I think you could definitely see it in both ways, just depending on which person you, you focus on. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, and that's like the whole film is like, they all, they both have valid points, but they're both coming from a place of privilege that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate them kind of trying to think outside of what their world is. Oh, well, Andre. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I had issues with Wallace as well. It was like, 
you know, he's like, I just want my, this little world. And like, I just want to have something to do every day. And I just want to have my little tasks. And I'm just like, you know, I, I kind of agree with Andre was saying, sometimes you need to stop and just look around you and think about something else and think about life a little bit differently. But in the end, <laughs> not to be a scholar, but in the end, all they're talking about <laughs> is the is what they're really talking about is that capitalism is bullshit and it's ruining yeah, our lives yeah, yes, from yes. the inside <laughs> out. This is what this is about. If you really want to, it's two yeah. two sides of the same coin. Right, hundred percent. Because I was I was going to say not to play devil's advocate, but like, yeah, you're right. And and Andre has those points where it's, you have to break out of the mold sometimes in order to live that life. But I also get Wallace's perspective where he's like, look, I I make almost no money. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to survive. Like, if I take joy in the little things, like how dare you? He doesn't mm-hmm. say how dare you, but like how dare you? You know, impose upon me that I am not living my life to the fullest. You right. know, right. And it. You see both. Yeah, I agree. Total left turn because I have this in my note and I have no real segue to do it. (laughs) Did you mark the line about nursing the teddy bear in that? Did I mark it? (laughs) Did I fucking mark it? I paused the movie. He's talking talking about, what was it? The the beehive, the beehive. And at first I'm like, Oh, that's actually kind of a fun idea. And I like yeah. loved it. And I was like, I, I sort of like that. That's very um, 19, 1970s, 1980s, uh, like flash mob. And mm-hmm. then he's like, and they had a teddy bear and I, he nursed it. And then I nursed it. I was like, <laughs> hold up. I was like super here for this scene until he said nursed a teddy bear. And I like stopped and I was like, oh. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything else for like the next two or three minutes of the movie. I was like, I literally like grabbed my chest. I was like, oh. Yeah. I wonder why that was his first choice to go to. And you know, like stuff like <laughs> stuff like this. I I I I like to think that this type of theater uh, exposition doesn't shock me because I work for a cultural institution in Brooklyn that is very yeah. like we're gonna throw ourselves in some sand and roll off the stage and like you know we do a lot of crazy <laughs> shit. Um, so I've seen stuff like this. So there's a part of me I was like, oh, this is interesting. But I was like, why? Why are we suckling the teddy bear? What does this mean? What are you looking for, Andre? Do you want to be, you want to suckle? Like, is this a mommy Both thing? of them too. Both of them. <laughs> like one dude did it and the other dude was like, yes, yes. Perfect uh-huh. thing to do with the teddy bear. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, I literally just wrote teddy bear lactation. <laughs> wow. I, I, I almost like, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it's just like a throwaway thing, but every part of me is like, you know, he doesn't bring up his parents at all. Maybe he's got mommy issues, like you said, mm-hmm. like, uh, maybe in the, in the throes and height, you know, heights of this passionate beehive experience, like his true self started to come out. He's like, I just want a family and a teddy bear mommy or baby. <laughs> and just like a true self emerged for a but moment. It's hilarious because he has a family that he doesn't, I mean, he engages with, <laughs> right? them, but he's, you know, I, for the first, I have to say the first half of the film, I wanted to destroy Andre. Um, he was driving me insane uh, because all I saw was a man who was obviously depressed and obviously hates himself um, running away from life and Mm -hmm. trying to find fulfillment in these great excursions. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but it, it just rubbed me the wrong way because he has a family at home 
And if you want to know what, like, I feel like such a hippie, but like, if you really want to know what life is about, <laughs> how about being there for your fucking kids so they can have a chance at having a good life yeah. instead of being messed up possibly because their dad's always running around the Kathmandu to find himself, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so that was very frustrating for me to watch and listen to because he's just a very privileged man who <laughs> is upset <laughs> with life. And I feel like sometimes a lot of people when there is not a lot there are things wrong in their lives, their lives, obviously, but when they don't have immediate danger or worry, or am I going to survive to, to think about on a day in and day out basis, mm-hmm. they do kind of wild things to kind of cope with that, to kind of, you know, yeah. fill that, you know, that need. Boy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it yeah, I, it just really upset me. And <laughs> I was like, I was like Wallace and I was looking at him with a piece of lettuce out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> bitch, what the fuck are you talking about right now? Do your children know who you are? He doesn't even talk about, like he, t- he brings up Conchita <clears throat> a couple times, but he never right. brings up his kid. Like that, that was also he, some, oh, does he? He does. He does. He brings them up like a couple, like sprinkles them in a few times. He's particularly spoke about them when he brought the monk home. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But it's they're never in the individual though. It's always like, how did my family react to what I am doing? What I am bringing in? I am I am enriching them. Like they're reacting to me doing yeah. a thing. Yeah, it was he, never he, any individual. He 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 sprinkles it in a little bit. Like I think uh, there's something about the daughter and her back and like something like that. But it's never like a main point of conversation for him. It's always okay. kind of to kind of pad whatever he's talking about. Um, but yeah, it's like that freaking monk is more of a father figure. And even though he, he doesn't really even want to deal with their kids, he's more <laughs> a father figure to your children than you are. And he says that. He says there's something that was lacking in the home. And I'm like, so yeah. you know it's lacking. You know that is lacking in your home. So you're so wrapped up in your own despair that you're not able to be there for your family as you probably should. And you know what the solution is, you know, the solution Mm -hmm. is to any, you know, home that is lacking. It's bringing a Tibetan monk home. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 A hundred percent. After you guys eat sand, because you have nothing (laughs) to fucking do. Oh my God. His, all of his friends. And he like, he, he, he speaks on his friends in the in these passing you know their uh set dressing to, to the rest of the anecdote which sidebar man that guy is full of anecdotes just chock full <laughs> of anecdotes but but That's... all of his friends oh go ahead sorry no no go ahead let's say all of his friends kind of assholes that all souls day part where like we we all got together on all souls day yeah and we all are doing spooky stuff and like four or four or five of our friends went off and ended up making us bury ourselves in a grave (laughs) fuck your friends exactly this is this just is connected to the idea that he doesn't have anything that is in his life that puts him in imminent danger or survival mode that it's like you have to be buried alive to trigger that reaction of some hustle or you know yeah whereas like wallace is like i'm trying to survive i'm trying (laughs) to make my plays the fact that wallace 
I was dying when he said that his his side hustle was being an actor. And I was like, yes! that is the bleakest thing that you have to be an actor to because you're not working as a playwright. That just shows you how, how hard life as a playwright is. I did. I did the loudest cackle listening to that. Because I was like, you know, like putting stuff away in the first like 10 minutes. So like mm -hmm. I wasn't super, super focused. But mm -hmm. yeah, I heard that. I was like, Meh! in my apartment because no. And also that shows you 1981, like, okay yeah you just got a spot in the chorus or like you know yeah. something on some play <laughs> fuck you wallace wallace you know at the beginning i was with wallace i was triggered by his experience seeing him walk down the streets mm -hmm. of new york i was like oh this is me walking in new york being frustrated <laughs> and then um seeing him like enjoy the gross subway breeze i was like yep yeah, I know that feeling. Yep, <laughs> and just the yep. look of mild despair <laughs> on his face. I was like, yep, yep, yep. Sounds about right. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh. And, it, it, and then he lost me at, he just wishes he can go home and have Debbie cook him dinner. Debbie is the only one fucking working in this house. Debbie is a waitress three nights a week. Like this poor woman. I assume this Debbie poor woman. I mean, dinner. look at Wallace. <laughs> He actually, he's he's perfectly average. He's a very mediocre, average white man. He's everything I would have expected. Um, <laughs> I was just so frustrated. I'm like, listen, you how about you go home and cook Debbie dinner? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm glad she. I think she's relieved that you're fucking going out. She don't have to cook you dinner when she gets home. She's tired. <laughs> she's Debbie gonna eat on her break and then go to bed when she gets home. Yeah, like leave yeah. Debbie alone. Debbie the hell alone. And he's like, yeah, someone has to make some money in this house. I'm like, okay. These poor suffering women. <laughs> both, both wives, I, I have the utmost sympathy for. Um, it, it's so interesting, like taking taking that step back though, and and seeing those two perspectives, like just kind of bare bones. Wallace, I, I related to the most. I think I even like, I, I wrote something in my notes, something like Andre is that friend we all have, like relating relating to Wallace more, the, the friend that's more successful or or seem, seemingly more successful. And right. Wallace is just trying to survive. And and Andre is on the outside, someone who's big and successful. You know, Wallace talks yeah. about how he's been able to support his family while he's he's been abroad. But really, for all of this beautiful, you know, pontification on life and, and the aspects of it, like Andre seems like a, a hollow searching man. Like yeah, that's, that's what I take from that. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Towards the end and, and to, to bank off of, uh, the hollowness of Andre, the line mm -hmm. that hit me, like, like he got, I don't know. Andre never fully redeemed himself. It was like, he was kind of irritating a little bit in the beginning. And then you, you know, you agree with, with certain aspects of what he says. And there are very relevant themes even today. But when he said out loud that he was learning to be a human being, I'm pretty sure Andre might be a sociopath. He's like <laughs> trying to figure out how to feel and emote. <laughs> and I'm like, this man is going to go out and murder somebody after this dinner. Oh, no. Learning to be a human being. He's going to cry through the whole murder, too, because that <laughs> seems to be his MO. I, you know... I I was so conflicted about Andre because actually when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, I could see how Chelsea relates to, you would relate to Wallace more um, because I think you have more of that pragmatic mind and like 
these are my tasks. I get my shit done. Like I'm on it. I'm hustling. You're a hustler. And here's, I'm more like the hoity-toity flighty. Like <laughs> I just want to live in the moment. I just want to express love and like art. And I'm like, you know, but I, I was also two minds about it. I, it. Honestly, at one point I was like watching it and I was like, are these, is this just my two minds arguing with each other? Is this what this film is? It's like me being like, I want to go live in a commune and make art. And in my other side being like, if you don't pay for rent and put some food in the refrigerator, you're going Mm -hmm. to die, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do think uh, there are times where I was frustrated with him and was like, what are you talking about? Just live your life and like take care of your family and work. But there were moments where he was like, life can't just be about working and ticking the box and just, you know, not realizing what's going on around us and I I related to that I was like yes I agree and I think as a people in society especially western society we're always told like you have to be the best and you have to get this mile marker at this age and you have to get this job and you have to marry this person and and you have to like constantly be fighting to get this wonderful life and it's exhausting and and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people get so hyper-focused in it that they don't stop and just enjoy the life around them i'm not saying leave your family and go roll yourself in the desert Eat but you know sand. yeah you know I, oh I, I i take a little bit from both of them and they both have their moments where they're a little bit more what they're saying is a little bit more uh, that i connect to what they're saying a little bit more so i i agree and i i think the way you phrase it is, is like you know two halves of a whole you know two mm-hmm. sides of one brain is is really spot on and I, I feel the same way. There's somewhere in the middle where it's like, I want to be the Wallace so I can be the Andre. Right. You want to, right. you're, you're plugging away at work day in and day out, hoping for some kind of change or result so that you have the ability to fucking leave it all behind. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, when will I have enough money that I can go off and, and do something spur in mm-hmm. the moment? Like, when will I have enough you know, flexibility or power when it comes to work that I can, you know, decide to you know do something creative like like the 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 workshop he held Mm -hmm. it it's such a difficult middle to hold in between those two things absolutely yeah because you constantly feel pulled on either side Mm -hmm. um i thought it was really interesting and semi poor segue what he's talking about um about how theater makes us feel that was also like modern theater and the perception of reality and how you have to actually take an audience to the Sahara Desert for them to react. And, and I thought that what he was talking about was very relevant for what we're dealing with right now, like like in, in popular culture and politics and, and society, where he's like, well, you can't, you can't affect, ch- you can't affect change. And that broke my heart to basically hear Andre talk about that because it really did feel when you feel helpless in in this particular political climate where, you, you know, the protests that happened during the pandemic and, and feeling like, what else can I do to affect change? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm mush-mouthing it right now. No, but I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it, I, that feels so relevant today where you try to inspire the masses or you, you try to be a part of a movement and it's when... I'm trying to find the words and this is all going into a podcast. I'm like, I didn't write notes about that part. Um, (laughs) uh, Are you trying to say almost that like everything's so bleak with the political climate that you almost feel like 
you can't reach the people as like you were saying that people are unreachable at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And, and, and that to, yeah, to make people feel something in order to enact that change Mm -hmm. feels impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I get that. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just, I relate to that feeling and every part of me wanted to say to, you know, in react, I, I wanted to disagree. I wanted to say, no, you know, mm-hmm. look at the change that we're creating right now. And, and, and the movements that are, that are being formed and, and our um, greater ac- acceptance and, and skills in, in having a conversation and a dialogue around shitty aspects of our, our society. Mm-hmm. And yet I was still kind of taken in by the sentiment that like, it does, you feel despondent sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I was also torn with that because I agree. There are times where it's exhausting to try to elicit a response from people sometimes because mm-hmm. people are just so comfortable in what they know, what they have felt, you know, safe, what the world that they, they feel safe in that it's mm-hmm. hard to kind of get them to look at things a little bit differently. But surprisingly on this one, I was on Wallace's side. Um, where he was like, I don't think that's impossible. I think there's ways, and like he was saying yeah. specifically in the theater, to kind of get that emotion from people, get a reaction from people. I right. think what it is, is I think they're looking at the world, and this is just their different point of views, obviously, that they're looking at the world differently. I think Andre is looking yeah. at it on a bigger scope. He's like, everything is trash. Everyone's running around <laughs> naked and screaming and killing each other, and it's trash, <laughs> and they're all going to die and fuck them. And Andre is more like, he's so into his small world of just trying to make it day by day that he's able to kind of look at it in smaller pieces. And like, you know, this is my world, this block that I live on is what I get through. And these are the people that I interact with. And maybe I can put on something that will elicit a response from them. And I think it's true. If you, I, I think if you tell small stories and you can just affect three out of a thousand people, that's important. So, you know, Andre sees it as a loss because all those other people haven't moved forward and haven't changed, but I see it as a positive that those three people I've managed to let them see or have helped them experience something different. So I, like I was also, you know, conflicted with that, but that's where I kind of stood on it at the end. But I, I was going to say, I was like, I like the way that, that you expounded upon that on, on Wallace's perspective too. And he get he gets so passionate about that. And I, and like you mm-hmm. see that that's kind of the moment where he starts to speak up because he finally it finally resonates and hits a nerve enough. He's like, mm, I yeah. don't agree with all of this. I'm kind of yeah. done just being passive and, and taking this right. and listening to it because there is another side to what you're saying. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, you know, it's funny in the beginning, the early part, I thought Wallace was going to, cause he made that whole reference about being the detective and liking to just ask the questions and see where the, where it lays on the other person's end. And then yeah. eventually he gets so fired up that he has to like <laughs> come in and step in. I was like, okay, Wallace, you see, you know, I mean, there, and, and the funny thing is in that moment, Andre is, is doing exactly what he's saying is impossible. He's eliciting a response and getting on, yeah. getting Wallace to think about things differently. So it's like, He's proving himself wrong <laughs> in, in telling this story. Yeah. In telling this story. Yeah. So, you know, Ooh. it's, it was, it was interesting to see it all unfold and kind of where they were going with that. Um, yeah. So yeah. In the beginning when Wallace was a little bit more lean, like staying back and kind of reserved, I, <laughs> I just, I, just enjoyed him, but I was like, is this man going to do anything? <laughs> 
what is he just gonna let Andre go on and be this pompous asshole and not step um, in and you know I would almost want to rewatch it again maybe not immediately but right you know especially after talking about it and and taking it in and, and really hitting on some of the different things we noticed like I would want to go back in and, and watch it with a new more yeah. focused lens and, and pick up those additional nuances to what Andrea is saying and then eventually what Wallace comes back with I, I think it is mm-hmm. it's more interesting after getting to to pick it apart a little bit like that yeah so I, you, I, you and I watched it alone right I did yeah I, I watched it alone and then my roommate came in for the last few minutes and she was like what the hell is going on <laughs> Like, what are you watching? I'm watching in, <laughs> influential theater, please. <laughs> you got really pretentious and you're like, yeah. mm, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> like, you would mm-hmm. understand. You don't understand the struggles of life. Okay. Or maybe you don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I just say, one of my favorite moments of this film is such a small moment, yet it it's told the me. It's the waiter. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the waiter. Actually, there is a moment where when uh uh when Wallace orders the potato soup and the waiter is just he just has this blinking tick. And I was like, is he is this Morse code? Is he trying to tell him not to order the soup? Or like, is he what's happening? <laughs> the, the waiter was so important in my mind. I really wanted him to be like, I don't know. And, and there was a moment where uh I think Andre was going in on, you know, it was when he kind of shifted and was talking about how society's bullshit and how people are living in these fantasy worlds and then the waiter just appears and he's like is everything okay and I'm like I figured this will be out this is the matrix this is the matrix Andre has figured out the matrix and the waiter is here to stop him I know this oh. is where it's going <laughs> I, I just I want someone to I, I maybe I'll have to google it like what is the significance of the waiter, waiter. in my dinner with Andre you, you know the uh the, the Freudian I think it's Freud somebody if it's not somebody will correct me uh that Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Maybe yeah. that's what the waiter was. He, he probably he, is. Because because you have to have a waiter in a out, <laughs> you know, dinner situation. But there's that little part of my brain that's like, what does this mean? Is this yeah. a layman? Is he yeah. is he a, a third perspective that we are not hearing? <laughs> we're we're Why being Andres. So we <laughs> are in fact being Andres in this moment. We're like, what is the meaning of the waiter? What does waiter. he stand for? Does he, he stand? He's got the cigarette at the end. He just wants to go home. He just wants to go home. (laughs) You assholes have been talking the whole time. This man just uh, just enjoying the simple things in life. Get the fuck out of the restaurant. (laughs) Seriously, let this man go home. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah. So I was I I'm I segued into this whole waiter thing because it's gonna be like the conspiracy theory of our whole and like. (laughs) discussion of this film um but th- I wanted to say there was a moment in the beginning when they first sit down that told me everything I needed to know about Andre and told me everything I needed to know about myself it was oh, such no. a and and I don't even know if this was scripted I don't even know if he just you know he just did it in the moment but they sat down at the table and the they're getting their um menus and then he gives the the flowers to the waiter and he's like we don't need this now this is nothing but my little brain, who is a person that's always like, you know, oh, you have to like, if the flower is here, you leave the flower here, you work around yeah. it. You know, this is how the restaurant's set up. He has yeah. such, it's such, this is me stretching it, but I feel like he's such, it's such a privileged, wealthy person's mind to walk yeah. into a space that is not yours. And, yeah. and, and it's not, a, it's not necessarily a negative, but to just be like, please remove this flower. It, we don't f- need this. Get this away. 
it seems negative because it's such a superfluous thing. Like right. who, who cares right. so much about the decor of your table that you would go, oh, I don't need these decorate. I don't need this candle. I don't need right. these flowers. Like right. it, it is, it, it sets the stage right off the bat. It's You're the right. audacity of the character that he's just like, oh, remove these flowers. And I'm just like, I've never thought to do, like I have never even no. thought to do that. If there's something annoying me on the table, I will find a little corner and leave it mm-hmm. there and like work around it, which is, you know. But the only time you have to do that, like 99% of the time is like if there's too much food on the table and you're like, oh, I just, right. I don't have room. I don't have room here for this. Right. It's not like, fuck these flowers. I don't like them. <laughs> I care to not have them on this table. I care these not. Flowers. <laughs> this is you a know. romantic dinner. How dare you? <laughs> so you're I never I didn't even notice that like like I saw I remember it happening yeah it didn't even click to me not knowing who these particular who these two characters were at the core right but now looking back holy shit yeah yeah and it just tells me everything about I I need to know about him and everything I need to know about myself (laughs) and I wouldn't even question to move the flowers I just be like yes sir you feel good I'd be like like more flowers sir please bring all the flowers to this table i will carry the burden of the flower holding like you know were they were they fresh flowers do you remember were they like plastic because that could have been that could have been the definitive (laughs) aspect he's like i don't fuck with plastic flowers you know Uh, why because uh, like us plastic flowers are losing (laughs) a life of a lie stagnation they do not change they do not age they're forever joyous in their, you know, solid solidity. I don't. I let me pontificate upon these these fake florals once more. Um, well, slow down, Andre. Slow down. <laughs> that's really good. I didn't even notice that. And you're you're totally right though. That that one gesture is like, okay, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a like like you said, like it could have been off the cuff, but it could have been in the writing. Like, what right. a great nuance to add to that character moment to, to give, yeah to give them that's yeah. great yeah and I think even for Wallace there's I think there's like a, a telling of the the balance in their relationship where it's you know mm-hmm. Andre's like I'm gonna have the quail and I'm gonna he knows all the names of these things and Wallace is just like well I'll have what he's having and then yeah <laughs> and then when this the, is so, it's so small <laughs> yeah, when the quail comes he's like oh <laughs> they're so small I'm like uh, sir, do you not know a quail? <laughs> and, then, and then even at the end where Wallace goes to help pay for the check and, and Andre goes, no, and he pays for all of it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. from, from start to finish, Andre has this this dominance and, and these right. characteristics, these character traits that absolutely paint him without right. him saying a word. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like he is the alpha here. Mm-hmm. Like he might as well have swept the flowers off the table with his dick. <laughs> like, let's be real. <laughs> it would have had the same effect, at least for me. <laughs> I'm dead. We could just end the conversation there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there was there's like a lot going on in this film. Oh my for such god. A film that has technically not not a lot happening. There's a lot yeah. happening. Which yeah. is great. And, I enjoyed that. And I I think it's also an interesting change of pace because we so frequently watch movies that are that are to me a lot of them are very physicality driven right. and, mm-hmm. and i don't mean I, like taking taking action movies I'm, I'm not saying like every single film is like oh we're just watching the bodily you know right. autonomy of each person doing blah blah, blah. but like it, it's such a change of pace to see kevin, oh, kevin smith, smith kevin smith yes. yeah I, I, i'm it. not comparing 
I'm not comparing the two movies, but like, you know, Kevin Smith is very dialogue heavy, very dialogue driven, very, very, you know, talky. Same with Aaron Sorkin. And, and this definitely feels akin to that type of mm-hmm. um, that kind of weight, that kind of balance in a film where, where it's all very, very talky, very, very dialogue. Yeah. I, I am for anybody who's deigning to listen this far into the podcast like we are not <laughs> film scholars just no. to make that abundantly clear no, 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 no. two lay women who are just like the movie talked a lot and I liked that <laughs> you know I in fact I forgot to do this but I was like I was thinking we should preface the whole discussion with listen we just like this shit we we studied like film obviously school yeah. wise and but like we're not we're not filmmakers no, like, no we're no, not no, critics no, no. We, we, we really should have we really should have said that at the top is like we both work in production <laughs> and and we work very heavily in an, or did work very heavily in an audio medium for a long time and and now we're just kind of working in an audio medium on the side and yeah. you know, being our, our own wallaces and yeah um my 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 film history goes as far as you know my degree in college and and that's kind of where it stopped yeah um maybe we bring a different side yeah maybe our life experiences bring a different you know aspect to this as far as commentary and hopefully yeah (laughs) just I just imagine I just imagine like a film historian like on the other end of this yelling at me like dialogue heavy like talk movies that talk a lot Kevin (laughs) Smith is on the golf come on you know you know what I say to them settle the fuck down Andre (laughs) that's gonna be my new thing hey stop being an Andre right now (laughs) this is a free ass podcast like let's just (laughs) slow down all right <laughs> oh man um, how do we get back into this we've, we've derailed a little we bit can't. okay nope uh you know what I, are you familiar with with trauma films like trauma no. and uh did you ever watch uh the, the toxic avenger no are you familiar with all right I, I only asked because at the end of the film and this is such a stupid little thing but like i was i left it rolling because i loved getting to see the new york um city streets in 1981 and like I yeah. just I was I, such a little little thing on such a heavy Same. movie but I loved watching that at the the beginning and the end um but there's a credit for Troma Inc and they did additional production services and it shook me because Troma I don't know if it's the same Troma Troma is this D-list schlock film company that I love. I've got a bumper sticker for them on my car oh, right nice. now. And they, Andrew, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, you know, very weird, bizarre, lovely man who heralds safety over anything else. If you watch mm-hmm. an interview with him, he's like, we're making just garbage cinema. Like safety comes first, like nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just very cool, cool dude. Um, and I saw Troma. I was like, Troma involved with my dinner? <laughs> what? <laughs> So don't Sorry. pigeonhole them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a little riled up. This is all this, <sighs> this, this back and forth. This is a lot. I, I know, right? <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't done this since since film school, probably, or since I, I got I film school very loosely, I'll put it in quotes. <laughs> um did you have any final thoughts or any uh additional oh, uh, I have so much shit. <laughs> You took more um, notes than I did. Damn. I just want to reference the fact that they meant that Andre drops not not see language. 
I think six different times. And I was like, Whoa. this man is, every time he said something, I was like, I would know down Nazi reference. <laughs> Nazi reference, oh Hitler, Hitler reference. I was like, okay, okay, that's a lot. Um, You know, uh, it was just an interesting thing to me. He is an older man. Let's see, so yeah. 1981. He looks like he's probably like let let's be real. He looks like he's like in his early 50s to to mm-hmm. me. Um, he he pro- probably wouldn't have been old enough to serve, or he would. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Not sure. He would have been pretty young if he if he served. I think also people looked older in the 70s, early yeah. 80s. They were they were road hard, put away yeah. wet studio fifty four type, especially in New York. Wasn't pollution like ten times worse in New York in the seventies too? I mean, this is a great example of how terrible New York was in the seventies. I mean, the subway looks like trash. Like every time I see pictures from the seventies and early eighties of New York City and the subway specifically, I'm like, how were people just sitting on like we're just driving mm-hmm. like going yep. to work like this? And and we complain about it now. It's still trash, but like at least the graffiti is cleaned up. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, we have to thank Giuliani for that. Yeah. Right. Let's not go there. Um, nope. <laughs> that's that a conversation cool. for another day. Yeah. Um, like you were saying about the whole watching the credits and watching the, like, like the views of New York and, and just that moment. I did enjoy him, you know, like looking around and talking about, oh, I had a, you know, ice cream cone here and I went to yeah. this dude's store with my dad. I love stuff like that. That's stuff I do when I'm just in back either back home or you know driving through New York or walking through New York. So I appreciated that. It was fun to kind of get that that moment of experience yeah. and kind of highlighting the city. Um, I, I I think it also it wraps up his experience with Andre a little bit too, where he's just kind of like ruminating on the night very very lightly and, and you know the yeah. things the things that they've talked about. And just like admiring the city and this maybe new new eyes, maybe fresh eyes, you know, exactly. opening up his world just a little bit more. Just a little bit, yeah. yeah. And seeing things that he may have taken for granted or, you know. Exactly. Yeah, the day in and day out, especially when you grow up in New York City, um, mm-hmm. you kind of become blind to it. So, yeah, um, I appreciated that. That was a nice little soothing ending <laughs> yeah and and it buttons it up the same way that it starts you know with that that his journey you know from the subway right. to the taxi cab is is really interesting and, and even the fact that he treated himself to a cab i was like yeah you you it, it, i could tell his mentality had been shifted because i feel like if this was just a normal dinner he would have just been like all right i gotta get back on the subway and mm-hmm. struggle mm-hmm. struggle on the way home and he's like you know what i'm gonna do something nice for myself um yeah a cab home you know he didn't have to pay for dinner after all. I mean, why not? I mean, shoot. <laughs> That's a plus. Uh, speaking of the dinner, another moment I did enjoy was how, and I obviously I didn't realize it as it was happening. It wasn't until we get that reveal at the end, but how the shots were getting tighter and tighter yeah. towards the end of the conversation. And mm-hmm. I was just in it, you know? I was like, oh, we can't see that funny bartender in the back anymore. Um, <laughs> and and we're just getting tighter and tighter. And, and then when you reveal that everyone is gone and the waiters are basically cleaning up I was like wow I I love that effect because it it really does make you because I've had moments where I'm talking to someone or doing something where I'm kind of blind to the world around me and so hyper-focused that when I look around it's like oh 
so much has changed. <laughs> exactly. You know? You're so drawn in that like you end up wearing those blinders and, and you see it in the reflection too, because you see a couple people at, in the beginning on the mm-hmm. wider in the reflection because you're yes. far enough away. Yeah. And then, yeah, then you just end up seeing Andre at the end. It's, it, I thought that was really well done and it, it, it a good had ca- a great effect. Yeah. The camera technique on that is it's just drawing you in and such a simple thing throughout the movie. I love that. Yeah. That was a, that was a high moment for me. I have a lot of stuff about, about the judgy waiter. <laughs> Always back to the judgy waiter. Best <sighs> best character of the three. So good. Just, I want to know more about what happened to that man. Like, what is his yeah, story? What does he feel? I, I want to think, I in my mind, I want to think that the waiter also had opinions and he just didn't feel, you know, comfortable expressing them. told him not to. <laughs> exactly. Maybe this waiter has an even more expound expanded upon you know perspective of all of this right I, I i you know he might i think in the beginning he was judging wallace i think this waiter is very much the typical old school service type of person who yeah you know they they have been he's trained to just do the best to serve these people at this status and like he gets pride in that so when someone mm-hmm. like wallace comes in who's like this bumbling idiot who doesn't <laughs> even know how what the word for potato soup in a different language is you know he's like you fucking peasant why are you here and then yeah <laughs> i think it does shift a little at the end when andre starts to start he begins to go off and then then the waiter comes in and checks in he's like is everything all right <laughs> um this is the matrix has been compromised um uh, he goes from judging just wallace to judging wallace and, and andre, andre. <laughs> he's like i am too fucking old for this shit He's like, I gotta go home and like, I don't know. He's like not here for it. And I, I he's got a cat him. to feed. Leave them, <laughs> let them go home. He's definitely got a cat to feed. You're so right. <laughs> oh man, that's so true. Oh, I love that well, waiter. Also, I, I enjoy that Statler and Waldorf were in attendance in the restaurant in one of the uh, establishments. Oh my god, shots. Yes, um, <laughs> they were like, having their own commentating. <laughs> comment i can't talk i'm i'm spent <laughs> oh, sorry. no 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 i'm just kidding you're good, you're good. Um, yeah i think i i think that's i'm trying to see if there's anything else three three out of five three life searching journeys out of five i will say is my final rating what about you i'm probably the same i i want to watch it again like it, it's this conversation has left me wanting to watch it again yeah for sure yeah but I, I get three three and a half it is interesting yeah. and it was it was different than anything I, i'd seen especially lately right it, especially for the time that it came out i'm sure it was a big deal and and funny yeah. what i what i thought about at the end i was like this film is exactly one of the things that it, it, it is a film that takes you out of life it takes mm-hmm. you away from the norm because normal films it's like you have different shots and you have different characters coming in you have all these but this is a very simple, straightforward thing. And I felt like it it was an example of taking a break from the norm and yeah. enjoying enjoying something different. It's very stripped so, down. Very yeah. kind of not, I don't want to say slice of life, but like, you know, it's very true to life and in, in watching somebody else's conversation like that. Uh I think the last thing I want to do is what do we think happened to Wallace and Andre? Oh, okay. Oh, oh dear. Okay. Um <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. I think that Wallace goes home and his wife is there mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And she, doesn't he say that he, yeah, he goes home and he tells her all about his dinner with Andre. That's, that's mm-hmm. one of the, the final lines. Mm-hmm. I think he does that. And I think his wife doesn't like Andre. Like she's mm-hmm. probably way more, she's probably even more pragmatic than Wallace is. And she's heard yeah. about, you know, how Andre basically abandoned his wife and child yeah. to, to <clears throat> excuse me, to go off and, you know, flit around Europe and she doesn't approve of him. And so she probably doesn't take the same stock in in this particular conversation having not been there but I think Wallace probably goes through life a little bit changed there's there's a part of me that wants to be like oh he he writes the next great American play and you know he's he's able to take more you know trips and shit but I I think it changes him just a little because I think that's more that that's more true to reality and true to life is Mm -hmm. he probably goes through life appreciating things a little bit more and, and looking at them with with a little you know shifted shifted view i think he maybe he does write a successful play but he doesn't go out and eat sand you know to celebrate he, <laughs> yeah. he gets to take you know a, a week-long trip with his with his wife and right. you know, he just has a, a more beautiful outlook just just a little bit i agree i think andre ends up getting a divorce and goes through <laughs> whatever Don Draper did throughout Mad Men where like he, he has a drinking problem and he probably sleeps around and he like tries to reconnect with the weird friends that tried to bury him in a grave and you know two of them are dead and one of them is you know now part of the the early 80s cult scene he's opened up his own <laughs> cult maybe Andre opens up his own cult that's that might be where I'm erring towards is he charismatic uh, enough though he's charismatic i mean look at jim jones you just have to give people enough drugs and be loud enough you know what yeah he, he did have that woman who wrote him that long letter and then all he oh sent my god her, all he sent her back was a fucking kid's rendition of a turkey, turkey with a heart and i was like really this is okay. and turkey that, yeah yeah, right. yeah very svengali like your heart is in my hand fuck yeah. you <laughs> You're right. I mean, he, he he might be able to segue into some cult leadership. He he either gets a little culty, or he ends up down on his luck a little bit. I think he does get divorced. I I don't think Conchita puts up with that shit too much longer, and I think he ends up being a single dad for a while and kind of bums around, and then eventually ends up in AA. <laughs> I don't know. I, I Andre's trajectory does not seem like he looks he is a man searching even at the end of the dinner to me even though he he's very he's got a lot of conviction in the things that he says he's not grounded he's not grounded in Mm -hmm. reality he's Mm -hmm. not grounded in a sense of where he stands right now so i I don't Mm -hmm. know andre's andre's future is is a little more hazy to me what what do you think um i think i agree with you uh about wallace I do think he starts to sprinkle in things little by little and is a little more open to looking at the world differently and a little more open to not sticking to his routine. I did like the part where he was talking about how he's just afraid uh, if, if he deviates from this path yeah. that he's, you know, what what the consequences are. Um, so I, I, um, I do think he's going to try to open up a little bit more. And who knows, it might lead to him doing something great but i i i agree with you i think it's going to be small baby steps and and it'll just make his life a little bit better the normal man yeah yeah i agree and he's probably gonna stay with debbie she got to cook him all these meals even though she's poor debbie (laughs) poor fucking debbie um andre i'm a little bit i don't think it's gonna go well 
I think Andre has a lot of sadness in him mm-hmm. and he's searching for something. I'm not sure if Conchita's going to leave him. I think she might be a ride or die and she might just be living. <laughs> <laughs> she might just be living her own life, full, full life without the consequences of having Andre around yet still benefiting That's possibly true. from his money. So I don't know. But then uh, the 90s were all around. And... Yeah. 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 Uh, it also depends on how much money this man has and <laughs> how much he's squandering it with these trips. And just gonna say, yeah, where the so, fuck is this money coming from? I think he's Wallace, a director, but yeah, no. Wallace says there's like a throwaway line in the beginning that he says that he's like he has a little money stash from where that comes from somewhere, but no one knows where it's from. Kind of a thing. Uh, so yeah, that money. seems like that's easily lost. Maybe right, especially with these trips that he's funding. You know, yeah. and it's like and still taking care of his wife and kids. Right. So I'm afraid the kids are going to end up resenting him, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially yep. if there's no money left over for them. And yep. I think he's he's also going to try to be like once they get out, become adults. He might I, I see him trying to like invite himself along on things with, with them, <laughs> and like trying to be part of the cool crowd of them. And then just being like, Ooh. either some of my, one might embrace it. And one might be like, I hate you, dad. Get away from me. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do think he ends. It, it doesn't end great for him. I think he's I think he's going to be unfortunately sad to the end because I think he's constantly searching outwards. I, I think he does do some internal work, but he's constantly searching outwards. And it's I mean, 70s, man, from the idyllic 60s into the 70s is a hard mm-hmm. time. People are, you know, they they're, they're they were so comfy and things got real, real, really oh, yeah. quick. So. And, and especially with the materialism that will increase and expound in the 80s, because this is only 81 that this, this movie is filmed. So probably, or it came out in 81, so probably mm-hmm. filmed like 79, 80. The, the yuppie stuff and, and, and the materialism and the, the technology boom that comes with the 80s, like that's going to be a hard slap in the face for mm-hmm. Andre. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very rapid, it'll be a rapidly shifting perspective yeah, and worldview yeah. and, and and goals so yeah i think that's also going to hit him pretty hard because you're right yeah. he's, he's looking externally he's not looking internally yeah or not not as much yeah he does a little bit i'm not gonna yeah. discredit yeah, him no, but no, 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 no. also he's just he's ultimately they're both everyone is worried about death and mm-hmm. andre is like worried about death in the sense that i need to find meaning in what this life is and Wallace right. is worried about death and I need to do everything I can to be happy in this moment and, you know, mm-hmm. make this successful life. So I think, I think Andre is going to be worried about death to the end and it's going to, he's never going to really accept happiness. Yeah, <laughs> That seems bleak, but you know, he's, I, he's, he's always going to be looking for something more. I mean, he said it himself. He's, he's learning to be human. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you don't feel like you're human, you don't, have all of the emotions that come with being human including happiness i think that makes sense or to your first theory he's gonna kill someone and then he will find happiness yeah or he'll kill himself god this is ending on a very low note we're like he's gonna kill someone or like maybe he'll end up killing himself i don't know andre's pretty bleak oh no i i think it's interesting that for all the all of this this theory and rhetoric and, and imaginings that that Andre talks about in this dinner that at the end we're still like he doesn't seem happy like I don't no. see things necessarily working out for him no and listen 
If Andre was having a hard time then, I can't even imagine him living in a world of social media, I have to say. Ooh. It Ooh. would... And, and, and I have to say one last thing, I'm sorry, but... No, that's okay, don't be sorry. He... In his in his argument about the fact that we can't change people's opinions, we can't change people's worldview, everything, blah blah blah. He 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 was talking as if, and I understand it was the seventies. You know, war had just happened. There's a lot of terrible things happening. A lot of men and women suffering. Um, yeah. And it, but it, I I think he is so. It's this also part of his delusions of grandeur. He is so stuck in this idea of his world, his time. His mm -hmm. time being the worst. This is the worst. Society's trash. It's never going to get better. It's going to be garbage forever. Blah. And it's like, dude, this shit has been happening forever. It's cyclical. Like, mm -hmm. shit gets okay. Shit gets garbage. Shit gets terrible. Things get a little bit better. Then it gets garbage again. This is just the way life is. And, yeah. and, and you know, things do get a little bit worse in, some, in certain cases in the future. But there is hope in the future. There is hope yeah. in general. And I just... There is hope. That's that's how I want to end it. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a, that's a good way to end it. Especially now. There is hope, guys, you know. There is hope. 